I once had a conversation with a footsinger who told me a simple fact which I have never forgotten. He said that the old man who taught him to sing told him a simple fact which he has never forgotten. That if you sing a song correctly with your ear to the tradition, then the dead will turn up and sing with you. James Stevens once heard Joyce sing a certain song. And he told me at table that he was the only person living who knew a certain folk song. He had learned it from his grandfather. And his grandfather had asserted that it was then a lost song. And that it was the best love song in the world. He sang it to me in his careful tenor voice. Now, at that time, I had a gift which has since deserted me. If I heard a song that I liked, thereupon that song, its music and words, became my property. Because of that small talent, here is the song that Joyce sang to me on the Champs-Élysées in a lovely tenor voice. Please forgive my voice. <clears throat> I was walking the road one fine day. Oh, the brown and the yellow ale. When I met with a man who was no right man. Oh, oh, love of my heart. And he asked if the woman with me was my daughter. Oh, the brown and the yellow ale. And I said she was my married wife. Oh, oh, love of my heart. And he asked, would I lend her for an hour and a quarter? Oh, the brown and the yellow ale. And I said I would do anything that was fair. Oh, oh, love of my heart. I was waiting there for a day and a quarter, oh, the brown and the yellow ale, when she came to me without any shame. Oh, love of my heart. And if it wasn't that my own little mother was a woman, oh, the brown and the yellow ale, I'd sing another pretty song about women. Oh, 
love of my heart. The best love song in the world, and Joyce, the only living man who knew it. A song of betrayal, hurt and loss. The motif of Joyce's lonely mind and life. Well, hello and welcome to Fire Drawn Air, episode 27, my second ever Christmas special. Um, to tell you the truth, I've been working quite hard on this episode all week. And just yesterday, I got a bit of a dose. Um, so I'm probably sounding stuffed up and quite horrible. But luckily, I've done most of the work already. So I'm going to keep the talking down to a minimum. Um I'm really excited about some of the stuff that's coming up in this show. But first things first, that was James Stevens, who apparently Joyce once considered uh, to be an ideal candidate for finishing off Finnegan's Wake for him. He said he said something like, there was no waster wasteful enough to do the job. But he considered asking James Stevens there, who just sang one of Joyce's favourite songs, The Brown and the Yellow Whale. Up next is Jim Eldon from Hull singing, I Wish There Was No Prisons. I wish there was no prisons, I do, don't you? And the old treadmill makes me feel ill. I always feel my belly put to fill with my hands, with my fists, with my molars. I met a woman with a perambulator, she had twins, each had a tater in his hand, in his fist, in his molars. So I leaned into the perambulator, kissed one twin, and I took the other's tater in my hand, in my fist, in my molars. I wish there was no prisons, I do, don't you? And the old treadmill makes me feel ill, I only steal my belly for to fill with my hands, with my fist, with my molars. Oakum picking gives me a licking Still I like to do a bit of nicking With my hands, with my fists, with my molars The probation officer was giving me a rocket Whilst he was at it I was into his pocket With my hands, with my fists, with my molars I wish there was no prisons I do, don't you? And the old treadmill makes me feel ill I only steal my belly for to fill With my hands, with my fists with my molars. I've twice been to church, once was to wed, the other was at night, I came home with some lead in my hands, in my fists, in my molars. I sold that leg to a kid called Fenner, but he robbed me with his scales, so I only got a tenner in my hands, in my fists, in my molars. I wish there was no prisons, I do, don't you? The old treadmill makes me feel ill I only steal my belly to fill With my hands, with my fist, with my molars Koncert na kran i skrzypce Thank you. 
Okay, so that was a random musician playing along with a tap in a bathroom somewhere in Poland, I think. Up next is Michael Lee Yonkers with a song called Fun Boots. Hey, I got something here to say about fun boots. Oh, how I love you in the fall when the leaves are colored red. Oh, how I love you in the spring when you're standing on your head. And in the summer, how I love it when you wear your swimming suit. But the winter's the time that you start me laughing when you're wearing your fun boots. Fun boots, don't you get them wet now? Fun boots, oh why, oh why, fun boots. I will make a bed that they won't ever dry your eyes. I don't mean to make you cry. No, 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 Fun boot, where can they go? But they sure look nice on you. When you wear them in the house. Yeah, 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 You know that I respect your judgment and your taste When I chose you for my girlfriend I did not choose in haste I am positive that surely you're the best girl I can find And I promise you that I will not let your fun boots change my mind. Fun boots, don't you get them wet now, fun boots. Oh why, oh why, oh why, fun boots. I will make a better fun boots. They won't ever, ever, ever dry a fun boots. They won't take the snow. Fun boots, they won't take the eyes. Fun boots, where can they go? Fun boots, oh, but they look so nice, nice. Fun boots. Silent now, but the ghosts still haunt the waves 
And that torch lights up a famished man Who fortune could not save Did you work upon the railroads? Did you ride the streets of crime? Where your dollars from the White House? Where they from the five and time? Did the old sons turn to cheer you? And the dust still make you cry? Did you count the months and years? Or did your teardrops quickly dry? Was not to be on a coffin ship. I came here and I never even got so far that they could change my name. Thousands are sailing across the western ocean to a land of opportunity. The summer.
Well, what a song. Um, that was, of course, the late and great Philip Chevron with the Pogues and 1988's Thousands Are Sailing. Up next, I want to talk about a CD that's actually coming out today. This is on the Peabre Yillen's Master Pipers series, and this is volume four. It's the music of Tommy Wreck. Now, this features a lot of early recordings of Tommy Wreck. They have been kind of floating around there, being passed around on tapes and CDs and stuff over the years, but never released commercially. These are recordings that were made between 1949 and somewhere around 1964 and really features Tommy at the height of his powers. Um, like for me, Tommy Wreck is probably my favourite piper of all time. Um, I've mentioned that on the show before, I know. But there's just something really magical and unique about his piping. Um, so I'm going to play two tracks off that CD. Thanks a million to Emmett Gill from the Peabre Island for passing that on to me. And you should check out this CD. It's got an 80-page booklet, like some really great writing in there. And there's 50 tracks on the CD. The one I'm going to play now is The Irish Washerwoman.
So they were the scholar, the Salamanca and Hand Me Down the Tackle, recorded in 1948 and released in the US by Copley Records, available now on the new Tommy Rex CD, Master Pipers, Volume 4 by Napier Breelan. Get on it. Okay, so up next I have something really special. This is a short story written and performed by Emer Walsh. It's called The Piper's Grip. Piper's grip. There are no women here tonight. The publican waits on the crowd, assisted by his young son, who reaches to operate the taps with the aid of a footstool. The child takes my five pound note into his tiny hand. I ask after Anya, his eldest sister, who usually works on a Saturday night. He says he's to make his first Holy Communion in the morning, and his mother and sisters are occupied with preparations. I suppose that's where all the women are. He carefully places my lukewarm pint of stout and stack of change on the counter. Jim, a long-time regular of the session, and already far along, is elbowing towards me. It has become my weekly task to deflect his petition for a song. I enjoy singing for my own amusement, but I am not sure that anything I know is up to scratch. Anyway, he thinks me very covetous for not sharing. Oh, do they not teach you to sing in the pale? Poor young lad. I jest with him until he becomes distracted. I am not here to sing. What I love to do is to watch and to listen. He catches me and pulls me over towards the players. They are midway through a set of reels and Jim presses me in among them. I hold my pint with both hands to feel occupied. Though the line between players and listeners shifts constantly, with instruments appearing and retiring in cycles, I cannot stand to be in the middle of it. I keep my head down through the reels and a rowdy slip jig. Jim sets into one of his endlessly long comedic ballads, riddled with double entendre wordplay and various kinds of nonsense that stirs jeering and whoops from the men who join in for the chorus. I am very fond of Jim, but I find this kind of thing a bit mortifying and look forward to the drawn-out notes that signal the end is coming. I had not noticed the elderly man sitting beside me until he began to dress himself in a very strange contraption. A many-limbed article of leather, wood and brass. He fixed this item to his body with a leather strap around the waist and another under the bicep and in doing so, he set a reverent hush among the men. Blowing though I am, I know this old man with his starched shirt and wool suit is not from the village. What is that? I mouth to Jim. He says nothing and points back to the man. Slight and dignified, the old man sits upright beside me, his soft grey hair combed back behind his ears. He raises his right hand and places it in his mouth to put some spit on his long fingers. This he transfers down onto a wooden pipe of about 15 inches held on his lap, sliding his dampened fingers across the seven holes along the front of the pipe and thumbing some onto the hole at the back. He adjusts his posture and wraps both hands around the rod. 
His shoulders drop and his wrists tilt inwards, allowing his fingers to stretch for the broader pads to cover the holes. This is not the dainty fingertip grip of the penny whistle, but something more of a soft-wristed wrangle hold. The base of the pipe he holds is pressed firmly to his knee at a cocked angle. Behind this, an ornate cluster of longer pipes lies across his lap. Each component is draped or hangs about him, with the entire form of him seemingly inclined to cradle the thing. A few flaps of his elbow start up a deep, continuous sound emitting from the instrument. His body undulates, and another, higher, melodic voice cuts in with a slow air. The melody seems to emerge from the fingering of the pipe, thumbing the hole at the rear, and jerking up the entire piece from the knee with a flick of the wrist. All the while, his face holds a sombre and open expression, like someone who has just asked a question and is listening out for the response. The pipe in his hands is fed wind from above, which streams in from a bag through a swan's neck of leather. This bag under his left arm is fed in turn by a bellows strapped to the right arm. The entire operation like a set of lungs, only if lungs ventilated in series rather than in unison. He stares into the distance and blinks slowly, the pad of his ring finger quivering over the second last hole, creating a long, gut-wrenching, vibrating call. Jim gives me a nudge to draw my attention to this part, as though I haven't already riveted. some of the men off their seats and into embrace and collision, a few attempting the siege of Ennis on the small free space in the lino. I can pay no attention to the commotion. The white of the webs between his stretched fingers flash at me, the long bones inside his hand protruding and vanishing beneath his skin. He plays quite vigorously now, the pipe bouncing and whipping up off his knee, his elbow pumping and pumping frantically to fill the bag again as soon as it goes slack. His face betrays nothing of the whirlwind around him. I notice his smell emitting from the instrument, potent and heady and hard to name. The smell of sweat-blotted leather, the musk of wood, the blood-bitter metal, but then another sweet dusty smell pushed out from the blind space inside the bag through the air circulation. The smell of the man himself and the places he's played before. I count the pipes. Six lie across his lap, the longest with a curved end. He hammers a rhythmic accompaniment upon the topmost three of these by slapping the butt of his hand against the stepped row of brass levers. Six pipes, 
and a seventh held upright, but I am sure that more than seven voices call from inside the instrument. I close my eyes and hear an engine laboring, an organ murmuring, a gate creaking, a distant train, a hound yelping, a turkey scrambling, a curlew stuttering, hooves thundering, a mill wheel churning, a stomach rumbling, a deluge gurgling, and the voice of some wild and starved beast beyond the description of any myth, heaving and gurning, bellowing and choking on its own spittle. He might have taken flight with the flapping of his elbow. The sounds of his trilling and warbling flush together. He produces embellishments on the double, the triple, and four times over in movements barely visible to the eye. His jaw is set out to the side, and his eyes turn to heaven as his finishing notes blast through the onlookers. When this was all done, the men flew into a sensational applause. He gave no smile back to them, but a quiet nod. Moments later, the instrument was unbuckled and stowed away, and the man gone from beside me. Oh, he's something else, isn't he? Says Jim. We're lucky to get him in once a year. He'll be moving on again now to grace some other locality. Oh, I remember the first time I heard him. Jim's chat fades from my mind. My eyes wander around the jostling crowd, the stained wood and stained glass, signs for drink and fags. I stare down at my own pint, still near full, and finally my eyes fix on the door the old man passed through only moments ago. I stand up, and without another thought, I rush off after him into the night. Of late, as I strayed and rambled through fields, where often I chased with haste and very quick speed, I being gone for a frank where aches and factions do meet to be drinking strong tea, hot kings, and things that are sweet. And the evening had been freezing indeed, and I was very cold. When frost in me heals me boys and cramps in me toes, I thought of no harm to warm me shanks to the fire, expecting matter and her daughter that they surely wouldn't me admire. And the teapot came round in spouts, we got stuff very strong. Old Mara said, speak or make a verse of a song. Old Bill in the corner, he cursed and he swore in a fright. Since he's gone, the roll was stolen and roasted last Saturday night. Now the scandal was old, he was noble but sturdy and strong. He never grew cold, although he lived very long. His feet and his legs were as yellow as the gold that do shine, and his gob it would hold an inch board in a very short time. 
and I've travelled Killarney, Kilgarvin, Kentork, and Mill Street, around by Karkar, Barhawken, and Turkeys and Geese. In all of my travels and rambles, I never did meet with the likes of Bill's Gander for beauty and very fine breed. And the girls all came for game and looking for breed. When they heard of the name and fame of Bill in his geese, they measured this gander's fine legs with a carpenter's rule, and they never would part him when they saw the fine length of his wings. So that was Willie Clancy singing a song about the gander, um, also displaying the fact that amongst all the other things he could do, he was a very, very fine singer. Up next, I'm going to play a song that was sent to me by listener Sarah Tim. This represents something, like I've been thinking about this a bit recently, but it's like some strange sub-genre of traditional song. I'm not sure exactly what it is but it seems to me it's it's some kind of like upper class peasant cosplay kind of thing like i know this is very much in vogue in the 1700s in england where you would have like these lords and ladies kind of swan around singing these romantic and wistful songs about shepherds and shepherdesses and stuff but like it's it's weird there's like a lot of cds of this material out there um but in this one he's he's actually putting on an irish accent which is even more offensive this is a version of a song I've played before on the show. The one I played before was definitely from the opposite end of the social stratum. It was an unidentified traveller boy recorded by Alan McWheeney in a traveller's camp in Cherry Orchard, I think, in Dublin. This one is sung by Thomas Allen and Sheila Armstrong, arranged and orchestrated by David Haslam, Northern Sinfonia and the Sinfonia Chorus. And it's on a CD called Songs of Northumbria. Where have ye been all the day, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Where have ye been all the day, me Billy Boy? I've been walking all the day with me charm and Nancy Gray, and me Nancy Tittle, me fancy, oh, me charm and Billy Boy. Is she fit to be your wife, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Is she fit to be your wife, me Billy Boy? She's as fit to be me wife as the folk is still than I, and me Nancy Tittle. Me fancy home, me charming Billy Boy. Can she cook a bit of steak, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Can she cook a bit of steak, me Billy Boy? She can cook a bit of steak, I am yet a girl cake. And me Nancy Kittle, me fancy home, me charming Billy Boy. Can she make an Irish stew, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Can she make an Irish stew, me Billy Boy? She can be a Irish too, I am singing in his too, and me Nancy Kittle me fancy, oh me charming Billy Boy. My mother and your mother were hanging out some clothes. My mother gave your mother a dunt on the nose. What? Color was her blood. Red. R E D stands for red, and O U T spells out. My mother and your mother were hanging out some clothes. 
My mother gave your mother a dent on the nose. And what color was her blood? Blue. Okay, that was something a bit purer there um, to help wash out the taste in your mouth if it was needed. Up next, I want to go a little bit earlier to the Cradle of Filth segment. And this one is a song that was recorded by the Copper family back in the day. It's called Dame Durden. And like to me, this song, it sounds like the plot of like a porno that was made in the 1970s in England, but like definitely set in the 1700s. Um, I'm not even going to say any more about this, but what a song. Jesus, the Copper Family. Just, just listen to this. Dame Durden. Dame Durden kept five servant maids to carry the milk in pail. She also kept five labouring men to use the spade and flail. It was Moll and Bet and Doll and Kit and Dolly to drag her tail. It was Tom and Dick and Joe and Jack and Humphrey with his flail. Then Tom kissed Molly, and Dick kissed Betty, and Joe kissed Dolly, and Jack kissed Kitty, and Humphrey with his flail. And Kitty, she was the charming girl to carry the milking pail. Dame Durden, in the morn so soon she did begin to call. To rouse her servants, maids, and men she did begin to bowl. It was Moll and Bet and Doll and Kit and Dolly to drag a tail. It was Tom and Dick and Joe and Jack and Humphrey with his flail. Then Tom kissed Molly and Dick kissed Betty and Joe kissed Dolly and Jack kissed Kitty. And Humphrey with his flail. And Kitty she was the charming girl to carry the milk in pail. It was on the morn of Valentine when birds began to pray. Dame Durden and her maids and men, they all together meet. There was Moll and Bet and Doll and Kit and Jolly to drag her tail. There was Tom and Dick and Joe and Jack and Humphrey with his flail. Then Tom kissed Molly and Dick kissed Betty and Joe kissed Dolly and Jack kissed Kitty. And Humphrey with his flail. And Kitty, she was the charming girl to carry the milk in There's the guy in the place who's got a bit of sweet face And he goes by the name of Ebenezer Good His friends call him Ezer and he's the main geezer And he'll vibe up the place like no other man could He's refined, sublime He'll make you feel fine, though very much maligned and misunderstood. But if you know he's a a real crowd pleaser, he's ever so good, he's ever he's a good. Oh, he's a good, yes, he's a good. He's ever he's ever he's a good. Oh, he's a good. He's a good, he's Ebenezer's Ebenezer good. You can see that he's mischievous, mysterious and devious when he circulates among the people in the place. But once you know he's fun and something of a genius, he gives a grin that goes around from face to face. 
Backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards. Easer is the geezer who loves the muslin. That's about the time the crowd all shout the name of Easer. He's crouching in the corner, laughing by the base bin. So Easer good, yes, Easer good. He's Ebenezer, he's Ebenezer good. Oh, he's a good, yes, he's a good. He's Ebenezer, he's Ebenezer good. Okay, look, so I'm in bits. I'm, I have to apologise. I really, I wanted to talk a little bit more in this episode, but like, you can hear my voice. I, uh, it just sounds horrible to me. Like, it feels like the internal dimensions of my head have completely changed. Um. So I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish up. So you probably have heard about the competition I had running for the last week, the Fire Drawn Air Raucous Rebel Christmas Cock Challenge 2021. So I got, I think, 29 entries in the end. So that's 290 quid I raised for a play at a house, which I'm really delighted about. Um, thanks a million to absolutely everybody who sent in any entries at all. There was like just so many really amazing ones. So when it comes to songs that are generally termed rebel songs, I'd be the first one to admit that I amn't really quite as read up as I'd like to be. But luckily I know a man who is um he's been producing and creating the Rebel Matters podcast for the last four years since 2017. Really amazing, really informative podcast. He's had some amazing guests on there. Um people like Bernadette Devlin, Macaliski, um Gemma Dunleavy, Virginia O'Hara. Lawrence McKeown, they're all guests that stood out to me. Um, but here he is, the man himself, uh, Anla O'Carline. Anla O'Carra, Connors Talk Horsey. Come on, Ian. It'll be great to see you. Thanks a million for the invitation to come on. Oh, not at all. No, thanks a million for giving us your time and for listening to the songs. Um, how's things with you? How are you keeping? Things are really good, yeah. We've, we've been... Um, I had to take a bit of a break from the podcast because the... Actually, the little gym that I run down in Cork was had been closed for so long because of the lockdowns and stuff. So when that reopened, I just needed to put everything into that. So I took a bit of a break from the podcast and it was just getting back on track now. Actually, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a bit more time and space to um, start making the episodes and stuff again. So yeah. it's actually been class to get back involved making it like. That's that's great to hear. Um, I saw you put up a list of the next couple of guests that are going to be on the episodes coming up. Yeah, got some um, class stuff coming up. Like uh, some episodes recorded already as well. And like the main thing for me at the minute is the, I don't, do you know the way this, the podcast has kind of gone through these cycles where I like, I'm in the zone with it and we get loads of episodes made and stuff like that. And then whenever something else happens in life that I have to turn my attention to for a while, then the podcast seems to have to take a bit of a backseat. So my, my kind of long-term goal for the podcast is always to get it to the level where it can sustain those types of distractions and still kind of stay sure. on course or whatever. So that's kind yeah. of what I'm focusing on this round. This round. Yeah, it can get kind of tough. But like I'm kind of locked into doing an episode every two weeks now and it seems like that's really easy to maintain sometimes and other times it seems impossible when like, you know, other aspects of life kind of start to impinge and the pressure comes on, it can be kind of hard to stay you know keep to that schedule i think there's been times whenever the podcast like the rebel matters podcast has been literally hanging on by a thread and there's been other times whenever actually the gym has been hanging on by a thread as well and it for me it always just comes back down to like my belief in the projects that i'm involved in and that's kind of the thing that sustains it it's just like 
it's sometimes it's like a massive bonfire and then other times it's like just a teensy little ember that's left and you have to sure. kind of t- tend to it to get it yeah, yeah. back up again but to be honest like the the people who support the podcast through patreon have been such a like positive kind of input into the whole process and have really helped me just um keep the sort of ambition alive to get it back up and running and like the desire to do it again because uh, like it does help when people send you a message being like this podcast is really good or I really enjoyed this one or this one came just at the right time for me or whatever really makes a big difference and even like whenever I paused the Patreon for a while there was some of the patrons sent me a message being like keep, you can keep my Patreon going if you want to like 100% oh, until amazing. you get back up in the feet so that yeah. was really nice so um, I'm looking forward like I've already started doing interviews which is class and I'm really enjoying meeting people which is kind of how I ended up starting the podcast in the first place was just as an excuse to sit and chat to someone for an hour and you know like yeah, kind of shoot yeah. the breeze with them and they've really been enjoying doing that doing that and I'm also really looking forward to putting the episodes out there again for the people who have been kind of um sticking with it you know through the through the little break that we had there yeah well that's really great to hear there's some new episodes coming out i uh, can't wait to check them out and as well we're just really thankful that you managed to join us here today um with everything that you have going on for another kind of chat um so i suppose i've been thinking a lot like putting this episode together and listen to all the songs just thinking a lot about the kind of ideas that people have about this type of song and um, it seems like in this country um no matter like i'm sure it's the, the case in other places but definitely in this country there seems to be a lot of baggage attached to these kind of songs at times and people can have very ambivalent reactions to them which i find like a lot of the time i don't think they're very well deserved you know people seem to be kind of down on rebel ballads maybe that's something that's kind of changed over the last couple of years but um you've been kind of like had these songs around you since a very young age is that right? You, you see, whenever you text me to see if I would be interested in coming on board for this episode, like I had literally responded to you before the ink was dry on the text message. <laughs> I was like, I'm in straight away. And it is because I have got such a, uh, I guess, long-standing and, uh, relationship with rebel songs and rebel balls. And like everyone has got a different re- reality. Like yeah. it's just like everyone sees things differently. And the reality for me and my brothers when we were kids and all the people that I grew up with and um, the community that I grew up as a part of was that like when we were kids we would it would be normal for us to see soldiers on the street in full combat uniform like automatic weapons radio pack helmet visor helicopters landing in the field where we were just playing hurling and stuff like that and for me as a boy like I suppose see our household like our our mum gave us the traditional music like she was a concertina player and we started playing the tin whistle and the flute from quite a young age and that's it, it nearly in a way like the, the trad scene kind of runs in some sort of weird kind of parallel with rebel songs but doesn't always cross over yeah and sure the, <laughs> whenever we whenever I started getting started consciously listening to what we might call rebel songs. Like I was listening to Christy Moore and I, I, I can, I, I can remember starting to listen to those kind of songs whenever I was about 10, 11, 12, there, there must've been a part of the soundscape of our childhood, even before that, like yeah. anyway, but 
I remember sitting in my bedroom with my Discman, listening to Christy Moore songs, and there were some of the songs that were really served like a kind of anchor or something. Like, I, I, just, I was thinking about it earlier when um, you asked me to come, come and do this. I was kind of started thinking about like what role have Rebel songs played in my life? And in one respect, I think that they really helped me to start to try and make sense as a boy of what was happening around us. So like, for example, that w- reality for us was that we would have nearly daily encounters with soldiers or the RUC or and all those like negative encounters where we felt that they were, well, they were like a foreign army on our land. Like, and the song Joe McDonald that the Wolf Tones recorded actually just down the street from, from us, they recorded it outside the Andersonstown Leisure Centre. Right. Uh, the video of that recording is still up on YouTube. And there's a line in that song that goes and you dare to call me a terrorist while you look down your gun when i think of all the deeds that you have done and that was the reality for us we we were the soldiers were looking down their guns at us and even calling like our community like a kind of a terrorist community and those in that sense then the rebel song started to give us a sense of what was happening. And um, so that was one kind of, I guess, purpose that Rebel Songs served. Another yeah, yeah. kind of role that Rebel Songs had for us was was the mockery of the British Army because, like, we were walking down the street and there's a patrol going down. Like, the army used to walk in, like, these little pods where there'd be one soldier walking forward, one soldier walking backwards with his kind of like back to the first soldier and then two at the side and have these little paws where they just walk down the street kind of covering each other. And in that, like the the power dynamic was completely out of whack there. Like, you know, like, and one image that's really powerful for me from the late 60s, 69 and early 70s is of women on the streets uh, on the Falls Road in Belfast. Like, uh, mocking the British soldiers go home you bums go home and just chanting that at them and one of the the first rebel song that my youngest brother Nisha ever learned off by heart was a song called Kinky Boots which is <laughs> written and sang by a band a rebel band called the Irish Brigade and uh, like the um the chorus of it goes, I've got a brand new shiny helmet and a pair of kinky boots. I've got a lovely new flak jacket and a lovely khaki suit. And when we go on night patrol, we hold each other's hands. We are the British Army and we're here to take your land. And it goes on like that. And uh, in a way, that for me, that kind of flips the power dynamic. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you found it was like kind of an empowering thing to have these songs to kind of fall back on in, in those kind of situations. Like, yeah. yeah. Totally. It's like, um, yeah, completely. Sorry, dog is going mental in the background there. I don't know if you oh, can hear. Yeah, she's full of beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it totally flips the part dynamic like that. And uh, another, really, I think one of the most important roles that these types of songs played for me, especially as a young boy, um, was to serve as kind of way markers or um, like the first time I really started to learn about Bloody Sunday was through songs. And when I 
really started to learn about maybe what the political landscape looked like in Ireland at the time as well was through some songs. For example, like what you mentioned at the start there, people and look, people have got different opinions about what rebel songs are and what they mean. And for us, this sort of served as this really powerful kind of source of strength and I don't know, a way to bring people together. But at the same time, that was because it was in the context of our reality. And as we're saying, like people down south, for example, might have a different kind of reality, yeah. a different kind of opinion about the songs. But the song that Christy Moore sings, 90 Miles from Dublin Town, uh, 90 Miles from Dublin, rather, is um, about a prisoner in the H-blocks talking about like that, Dublin is only 90 miles down the road and might as well be in the other side of the world because people in New like America know more about what's happening in here. Yeah, 90 yeah. miles from Dublin town, I'm in me hits block cell. There's more attention to me plight in the USA. Like that. And then so I was hearing that song as a kid and I was asking, like, why why is that? Like, why is it like that that this person is singing about like people in Dublin not knowing what's happening up here? Like, why are people not understanding what's happening up here? Yeah, yeah. Not understanding what we were experiencing on a, on a day-to-day kind of basis like that. So I suppose that's kind of some of the things that I was thinking about earlier whenever yeah, I was getting yeah. ready for this. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, as I was saying earlier on, it feels like it's kind of changed somewhat. Um, I Yeah, I definitely think that in the past there was a certain kind of like hypocrisy towards these songs and people down the south having the luxury to kind of look upon them like that. But in the last couple of years, there's, I know there's definitely been a kind of change in consciousness about um, ideas about like Irishness and people's relation to like our kind of traditional cultures and things like that. But one of the things I noticed was that like see, look at uh, the song Come Out Your Black and Tans, you know, and that kind of coming back into the charts and people singing and stuff. And I wonder how it got to do like with a lot of the kind of ideas about Black Lives Matter and stuff around that time, the George Floyd shooting. And you, you see protests over in England with people throwing statues of like Colston into the harbour in Bristol and stuff like that. And I wonder, was that a way, you know, middle class Ireland wanting to kind of ally themselves with this thing that was going on and being like, oh, well, we have this situation and, and it's kind of, it's become a bit cooler to kind of talk about or something like that, you know? We have got a, a colonial past or an anti-colonial past, whichever way you want to frame it, in Ireland for sure. And a lot of the, the rebel songs are anti-colonial songs in the very nature of them and also um i was thinking you know there's another element to to rebel songs in relation to the time that they're being sung and the time they're being written and stuff like that and i think that that is in times of conflict like i was born in 1985 the good friday agreement was signed in 1998 when i was going on 14 but previous to that, like there was no major inclination that the war was going to come to a, st- a stop like that, you know. And when you're in a situation where there's an armed conflict that is, and there's a guerrilla army like that, that's coming from just the the general population, the communities, people who wouldn't otherwise have been involved in that armed conflict. Yeah. I think that rebel songs in a way serve as a form of propaganda and a form of romanticization of the struggle for the next generation to pass on to the next generation so that they can 
sort of have this romantic view of armed conflict yeah. and therefore have the aspiration to get involved in it. That was definitely like that was definitely a part of what these songs were, were given to me as a young person. And um, there's a song that actually um, is Liam Clancy sings it. It's called The Patriot Game. Oh, yeah, and that's, that's you know that song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the Absolutely. opening line of that song is, um, what how does it go again? It's, um, come all you, come, yeah, you come all you young God. rebels and list what I well, say yeah. for the love of one's country is a terrible thing. It will banish his fear with the speed of a flame and it makes us all part of the Patriot game. And that in a way, the rebel songs kind of serve to bring the next group of people in yeah. to the Patriot game yeah, to yeah. keep that struggle going, no? Yeah, well, I think um, that's definitely a song that has a lot of nuance in it. But um, how did you how did you feel about that when you were growing up, like, listening to those kind of songs? Would you say it had that effect on you as a younger person? <clears throat> I think that those types of songs are really important because the do that song is, is about uh, Fergal O'Hanlon, who died... In the ambush with Sean South and Gary Owen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it it is like a serious thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it is yeah. a serious thing to 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 um have an aspiration to get involved in like an armed conflict or to feel like you're gonna be the next generation that's gonna get involved in it. Uh so I think that that's a it's a really powerful song for sure. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And that's I think something that's really special about rebel songs and folk songs in general are like a little time capsule it's like you can travel back in time or it's like they can get a a, a freeze frame of what the what the feeling was for a certain group of people at a certain time and that's it kind of preserves it like a little dragonfly that gets encased in lava yeah, or something like yeah. that and it's just like preserved forevermore Absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's the, the kind of thing I find with traditional song anyway. I don't think anywhere else you find the actual emotional reality of the everyday person. It's not really something that's recorded in any other way, apart from the songs that were current at the time they were living. You know, that really gives you a window into like the inner kind of world of people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it was actually, I've actually loved really loved going through all of the people, all the entries and stuff. And um, yeah, because there's some amazing ones in there. So like, like th- thirty odd yeah entries of yeah yeah um it was really amazing to see the efforts that people went to and the ingenuity and like it was really short notice as well because I only announced it a couple of days ago and it said that deadline is Friday I think I announced it maybe on Monday or Tuesday said I should have given it a lot more time because I would have gotten a lot more entries but I think next year uh, you know I'll, I'll have a bit more of a lead in. But um, really impressive to see what people came up with. So um, you've come up with like five ones that you were fa- your favorite out of the list. Got a top five, yeah. And yeah. for me, going through these songs, I the things that were sort of factors at play in my mind when I was listening to them was I was nearly trying to detach myself from my emotional connection with some of the songs. And then also the fact that I don't even want to say the word impersonations because it was like people were channeling yeah they were channeling bob dylan and johnny cash and stuff like that and so i was kind of trying to objectively listen to them and with like i'm a big johnny cash fan and a really big bob dylan fan as well so i was trying to like okay i need to like be kind of objective here and stuff yeah but um 
I had a really great time going through everything. All of them, listen to oh, them all numerous times. <laughs> yeah. So, um, who are we going to start off with? Right. Okay. So the one we're going to start off with is Helen McNulty singing the Fields of Athenry, channeling Kate Bush. What did you think about that? Well, like so impressive, like really impressive uh, vocal range and technique. Um, really managed to like click into the, the Kate Bush vibe there. Really impressive. You know, the other thing that struck me about that is there's something a bit special about rebel songs when they're being sung by women because the rebel song kind of genre is quite a male dominated yeah, kind of sure. genre yeah. you know, think about like all, all the recordings that have been done on Rebel Songs and um, I think there's a really beautiful version of The Fields of Athenry which is a song that I would have initially associated with um, the with going to Celtic matches and it being okay. kind of a Celtic kind of song that was being sung in the stadium I didn't go to too many Celtic matches when I was a kid because I got when I went to a couple and just I just didn't like the the the, the environment really because it was well I wasn't really a big soccer fan anyway in the first place but yeah, kind of yeah. thought that at times it was sort of a bit sectarian or something like that there not particularly in terms of Celtic fans but just the whole dynamic where it was like Celtic yeah. Rangers against each other yeah, and stuff yeah. but it reminds me of another song that is about that's called the Ballad of Maria Farrell who Maria Farrell was killed in Gibraltar in 1988 with two other IRA volunteers Sean Savage and Daniel McCann usually that song is sung by a woman as well and there's I guess that's like two snapshots that the Fields of Athen Ryan and that um, Ballad of Maria Farrell is two snapshots of different periods in Irish history one yeah. at a time whenever Irish people were 
being sent away to Australia for trying to get food and another one which is more recent um that actually had a really um a really uh powerful kind of knock-on effect whenever the Mairead Farland, Sean Savage and Daniel McCann were killed by the SAS in Gibraltar unarmed their funeral in West Belfast was then attacked by a loyalist called Michael Stone and then the funeral of Kevin McBrady, who was killed by Michael Stone, two British soldiers ended up driving in to that funeral cortege, and then they were murdered. It's kind of like a a, a chain of a chain reaction of of really yeah, kind of tragic events all in. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's well, <laughs> kind of going down. Going down a bit of a serious path. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, yeah, hopefully there'll be some lighter ones. Uh, yeah. yeah, coming up with uh... yeah, Okay, so the next one is a bit lighter. Okay. The next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is serious business, but you know, it's nice to have uh, like some light moments as well. Yeah. Okay, so this one is um, sung by Derek Copley, channeling uh, Johnny Cash, Amazing. and it's "Come Out to Black and Tans." Dublin Street, where the royal was beat, and the loving English feet do walked all over us. And every single night, when my pa would come on tight, he'd invite the neighbors out with his chorus. Come out, you black and tans, come out and fight me like a man. Show your wife how you won medals down in Flanders. Tell her how the IRA made her own like fell away from the green and lovely lakes of Kalashandra. Come tell us how you slew them all Arabs two by two, like the Zulus, they had spears and bow and arrows. How brave you face one with your sixteen pounder gun. You black and tan, come out and fight me like a man. Show your wife how you won medals down in Flanders. Tell her how the IRA made you run like hell away from the green and lovely lakes of Kilishandra. Come let us hear you tell how you stole Ray Parnell. Bottom well and truly persecuted. Where are the sneers and jeers that you only let us hear when our leaders of 16 were executed? Come out, you black and tans, come out and fight me like a man. Show your wife how you won medals down in Flanders. Tell her how the IRA made your own.
Merry Christmas from Johnny Cash. Ah, uh, deadly job. <laughs> <laughs> Good man, Derek. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely class. As I was saying, like, I'm a fucking Johnny Cash fan anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like two words <laughs> just to yeah, make yeah, something yeah. really weird, which is like class. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, something I really like to do on Fire Draw Near is draw two, like, disparate treads together and see where they join if they do. But that's, I'm, I was really glad to enable that to happen with some of these songs as well. <laughs> <You definitely laughs> I love to see you. definitely did that there. Um, so, the, yeah, like, I love the guitar in that one as well. Yeah, it's just great. It comes that... in just like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Fucking, yeah, yeah. yeah and that song, all of, the, all of the songs that we're listening to, I tend to think about the first time that I heard them, which is most for the most part, it's like whenever I was a boy or teenager and try and just recall the, the, the memories and the emotions that that the songs evoked in me at, at the time. And for that particular song, I think that that is a good example of an anti-colonial song like it's got that line in it like like the Zulus they had spears and bow and arrows the Arabs and the Zulus yeah mm. yeah absolutely and, and um, it also has got a nice kind of image of just it you know like your man's dad coming home from the pub with his shirt buttoned down a little bit, a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> drunk and just be like come on let's be having you yeah, outside yeah. the barracks <laughs> yeah oh, thanks the picture really well and you know, a funny story actually like about that is um that image one time we had a party in my ma's house she my ma's from dublin so she would often go to dublin to go down and play tunes down in the cobblestone and different pubs yeah, around the place yeah. and see her family down there and we would be sort of left to our own devices which we were heavily involved in the in the gm playing hurling and stuff so for the most part we stayed out of trouble but sometimes we had these parties in the house and i remember one time i was about 18 and we had a party in the house and about four or five in the morning we were all looters and we decided to go down to the barracks and paint <laughs> uh, like Brits out and Chucky oh. Arla and all of the other slogans and stuff that you, that you could think of on the barracks down the road and uh, I was painting houses at the time so I had this loads of paint in the house I was like we've got paint we've got brushes let's go for it and we got as far as the main road which is about 300 yards from my mom's house and we were just just thinking we're never going to make it down as far as the barracks which is a mile away so just yeah. painted it on on the road instead okay <laughs> woke up the next morning looked at the window and it's like white footsteps all the way up to my mom's oh, front shit. door <laughs> i was like that's what the hell happened there <laughs> oh fuck get so out with the was, scrubbing brushes straight away <laughs> that was our over. version of come out come out uh your blackened hands that went just like didn't work out the way it was, oh, no. was going to work out what's <laughs> <laughs> that leading straight back to the door oh dear yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well that was that was absolutely savage from Derek copley nice yep. one um who we got up next okay the next one for me is if there's such a thing as quintessential fire drawn year I think this next song is nailing that vibe. Like, there's been a few episodes of Fadron Year where I've been driving and listening to it as I was going somewhere. 
actually remember I was driving down to West Cork one time listening to, listening to a few episodes kind of in a row. You know the way sometimes when there's songs that are, they're just kind of they're just kind of like you like make you kind of like squirm or something. You're like, <laughs> yeah. I've definitely like, played a few of them. <laughs> it's like make it stop, but it's not a keep listening to it. And it's like this like contrast where it's like this like mental noise that is making you uncomfortable, but you want to you just want to keep listening to it. And um, so this has got a bit of that vibe on the go. Uh, this is Connor O'Kane singing "Men Behind the Wire," a really interesting song. And channeling vice versa. Is it vice versa or vice versa? I think it's vice subversa. It's meant to sound like vice versa. You know, one of those punk names, but vi subversa. <laughs> From the Poison Girls? The Poison Girls, yeah, yeah. Really great band. So um, I wasn't familiar with the Poison Girls until today. Have you listened to them before? Oh, I've been into them for years. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Like an arco punk band from the early 80s. Like would have been out around the same scene as like, you know, Crass and all the kind of peace punk kind of stuff. But she was a housewife living at home with her son when kind of the whole punk movement hit. And then her and her son were like, yeah, fuck this. Let's start a band. And they started a band and it was the Poison Girls. So she was a lot older than the other people at the time. And uh, there's some uh, like, YouTube videos and stuff of them playing pretty like looks like it's pretty recent as well. I'm just there rocking I out. Like, down, yeah, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and seen her rocking out. Yeah, Pop yeah. World. Like total legend. So, so yeah, so channeling her is Connor O'Kane with Men Behind the Wire. Let's give that a listen. Armored cars and tanks and guns can't take away. Our sons, but every man will stand behind the man behind the wire. Through the little streets of Belfast, in the dark of early morn, British soldiers came marauding, treating little homes scorn. Heedless of the crying children, dragging fathers. From their beds and beating sons while helpless mothers watch the blood pour from their heads. Armored cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons. But every man will stand behind the man behind the wire. Not for them, a judge and jury, not indeed. A crime at all. being Irish I means you're guilty. So we're guilty. One and all. Around the world, the truth will echo. Cromwell's men are here again. England's name again is solid in the eyes of honest men. Armored cars and tanks and guns came to take. Away our sons, but every man would stand behind the man behind the wire. Pretty much behind our banner, for we stand before our men. Oh, we will have them back to help us build a nation once again. From the people, stand together. Proudly march upon our way Never fear and never falter 
Tell the boys, come home today. Ah, my cars! Our times are guns! I can't take away our sons. But every man will stand behind the man behind the wire. Yeah, so Derry's own Connor O'Kane there. Um, I thought that was, yeah, that was definitely like something I'd listen to anyway. I really enjoyed like the kind of lo-fi vibe going on there. And I think he, um, yeah, he definitely channeled Vice Versa. Like, yeah, really, it did. Like, I know Connor and that doesn't sound like him. <laughs> that song came out in 1971 and it was in response to the internment with a trial that was happening in Belfast. And something that it was put out by the Wolf Tones actually went to number one in the charts and then okay. got banned wow in and Ireland did, did I write the um, the song or was it somebody else do you know I th- I, I'm not sure I I, I was under, I thought that the Wolf Tones wrote it but I'm not 100% certain about that one thing that kind of struck me when I was listening to that like the the sort of sentiment in that song is that the people on the street need to get behind the boys behind the men behind the wire which is like the lads who were in the cages of Longkesh at the time and you know the 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 beat that's in the song and the kind of tambourine yeah. beat as well really reminded me of it i was imagining the women who would come out on the street and bang bin lids bang the beds when, been, the, when the yeah. army came around and the... exactly yeah yeah, yeah. i was kind of like that it was like yeah sh- 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 yeah so um number that was number three on the list and um, moving up yep. now getting getting close to the winner so on to number two okay number two is mick dunn mick channeling Dunn. one robert zimmerman aka bob dylan and... aka abe simpson <laughs> <laughs> It's grand because he was saying if we have like a ballad competition where it's like, okay, you have to do a rebel ballad, but it's as a Simpson character, he's going to do really well in that as well. So. <laughs> this is a, this is a song, again, that I think, uh, when I think of it, I think of like one of those songs that's mocking the British army. It's Go On Home, British Soldiers Go On Home. Go on home, British soldiers, go on home. If you get no fucking homes of your own For 800 years we fought you without fear And we fight you for 800 more If you stay with your soldiers, if you stay You won't ever, ever beat the IRA So fuck your Union Jack, we want our country back Fantastic job there with Mick Dunn. Absolutely class here. Are you a Bob Dylan fan? Oh, sorry, say that again. Are you a Bob Dylan fan? Um, no, no, actually, I'm not. No. Do you dislike <laughs> actively dislike him? I don't. I don't. Quite, I'd be slightly more veering onto the side of disliking him, but I would wouldn't be so far to go as call it like active you know um it's just that yeah it's just never it's never really spoke to me his style you know i seen a clip of bob dylan talking the other day where he was talking about the influence that the clancy brothers had on his music yeah and saying that he sang some songs when he was singing them he was thinking how would the clancy brothers sing it and he even mentioned the song that 
the Clancy Brothers sing called Roddy McCorley, which is a really interesting song as well. I remember when I was about 14 and I was driving up to, driving up in County Antrim and we were going through Tomb, which where Roddy McCorley was hung and my dad then put the song on as we were going over the bridge in Tomb. And it's one of the, one of the first tribal songs that I learned actually in Irish. There, there's uh-huh. a line in it, Mataradi Macarley, a gull hunt crick, a rehid whom you. And I think for me that that does highlight again, like how the rebel songs in a way were like little way markers and little reminders of things that happened in the past and things that yeah. sparked con- conversations and curiosity about what, what had gone on in the land and time gone by. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the kind of most fascinating things uh, in talking to you about this whole subject is that kind of these songs you had such a, a real and tangible connection with them like especially growing up you know like you're, you're you're passing by these like landmarks that are mentioned in the songs you were talking there about a song that was written only like in 1988 in that tradition and you know a stuff that was going on around you and spoke very directly to your life growing up in Belfast you know and that's not something that people really have with a lot of other types of folk or traditional song these days and mm, um, like, well, first of all, just to go back to Mick, Mick and Bob there, like I had my head there that I was sitting at an after party and we were all just chilling, all stoned out of our head, heads and Bob Dylan picking up his guitar and singing, going home for this we'll just going home. <laughs> quite, quite a nice image, room for the smoke. Um, well, yeah, Bob Dylan, though, he had like, it's just kind of other connections. Like he used the tune to Patriot Game. Um, for one of his songs with God on our side I think and there's a story of him and Dominic Bean having a bust up outside I think it was like Newport Folk Festival or something like that over in the States like Dominic Bean didn't take very kindly to it and uh, like obviously like Dylan was kind of fond of doing that he did it like um, with some English folk songs as well um, I think uh, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall and some other stuff you know he would kind of like just take tunes that were doing the rounds and kind of work them to his own which people do within the tradition all the time but I think maybe people have a harder time with it because he was kind of passing them off more as his own then at the end you know like yeah Bob Dylan could be quite a polarizing yeah kind of yeah 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 a singer or whatever people extend the kind of either love him or hate him sure sure uh, but yeah, that is a good point though that you were making about the the songs being quite like rooted in the environment that that I grew up in, which is definitely something that um, had quite a profound impact on me. Also, I think that rebel songs and I suppose folk songs. Like for me, like the the distinction between a rebel song and a folk song, like. It's kind of a blurry enough line yeah, for I me. mean, they are really folk songs, you know. I don't, I would find it, like, hard to argue otherwise, you know. Yeah, there's a really great song by um, a, a singer and songwriter and a, and a rebel called Bran Moore that he wrote about Michael Collins. And we have got quite a... Speaking of polarizing figures. <laughs> past, exactly, yeah. <laughs> complex past when it comes to... Yeah. Michael Collins in the Civil War and there's a line in that song that goes uh, the the chorus of the song is hang out your brightest colours his memory now recall each one wants a part of him but no one wants it all and I think that that maybe speaks to what we were talking about earlier on there when we were discussing the Patriot game is that like 
it's not just about romanticizing one side of history and in many ways as time moves on history can be i think like airbrushed a bit yeah and i think yeah, that these sure. songs have got the power to capture things that were uncomfortable and maybe be able to articulate things that in song and in that kind of poetry that would be maybe more difficult to explain or maybe we could get lost with the ravages of time when you think about the role that songs played for people who were in jail and for example the h-blocks were the men during the no wash protest and uh the blanket protests were locked up 24 hours a day and to keep morale up within the prison they would have had concerts but they were all like two to a cell on the wing yeah. and you would have had people coming up to a steel door and singing into the door so that everybody in the cell could hear the concert or could hear the concert well, you know and um there's a lot of songs that came out of jails also and in the h-blocks in particular those songs would have had to have been smuggled out with these small what were called comms where it was like a teensy piece of paper with the inside of a barrel like the in the, pla- the little bendy piece that comes out of a pen that would have been smuggled in and wrapped in cling film and then one of the prisoners would have been designated to put the prison uniform on for the purpose of being able to receive a visit and then pass the comm which would have had information about what was happening inside the jail and questions for the outside yeah. and so, uh, stories or poems or articles or songs as well when you think about two uh, songs that Christy Moore is mostly known for singing these days Michael Hatton Michael about Hatton, a yeah. maker yeah, up yeah. in uh, the glens of Andrum and Back yeah. Home and Derry both songs were written by Bobby oh, Sands yeah yeah Back Home and Derry Jesus that's, that's some song it's an absolute cracker and yeah. it that was sent out of jail and then Christy Moore eventually got them and he was able to, to bring them but that's kind of the way that, that they were sent out like that but for people who were in jail at the time like that just those songs then serve a whole other purpose there when you're at yeah. kind of you're, like you're in this place where the authorities are trying to break you and you're stripped down to you're naked and of all the kind of horrors that you can imagine are happening and then it's the songs that that a lot of the time people you know like are relying on for for keeping morale going which i think is yeah. a very powerful thing as well oh absolutely absolutely so and speaking of which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right um, are you so, in a, yeah, go ahead yeah so we're up to our, our winner now of the competition so I'm just yeah I'm just really excited to see which one you picked because um I know like even like kind of trying to break it down into 10 and then even into 5 like such a tough job to do because uh just lots of really amazing entries but i just want to say as well thanks a minute to like absolutely everybody who sent in um entries and songs like just it's been really a really impressive response especially at sh- such a short notice um and as i said before i'm going to give a, a tenor for each entry to Piet house um and yeah it's quite quite a good few bob going for them and it's just yeah thanks a million to everyone for making it happen um but fair to you for making it happen as well ah sure you know 
spot the car though. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know, like uh, you, um, for just talking about like this this year's Christmas special compared to last year's Christmas special. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted, like, I definitely wanted to do some kind of Christmas special, but I kind of, like, I realised I was kind of feeling pressure to do, like, the drunken episode again, you know? Um, like, kind of people had been mentioning it to me, like, all the way throughout the year, and kind of talking, oh, yeah, Christmas special again, it's going to be deadly, it's going to be such a good laugh, and then I was like, no, this is the peer pressure thing that everybody talks about, you know? Oh, you're such a great laugh when you're drunk, or whatever, you should, you know, do it all the time, but, like, I was like, no, I'm... I'm over it, you know. Um, so I gave up drinking like three months ago, and like it's just been really so enjoyable. Like it's after like changing so many things in my life for the positive. Um, like no, it was when I kind of gave up. It wasn't a big like oh that you know I didn't make a big deal about it. I was just like oh, I just want to stop for a while and see how it goes. And then after one month, I was like this is great. I want to keep going. After another month, like yeah, perfect. And after three months, now I'm just like Jesus, I might just keep going with it, you know. And it f- felt like something I didn't want to kind of just give it up for doing like an episode you know because i felt under pressure to perform or do this thing so i was like no i'll just keep going and i, I was just trying to come up with different ideas to do for the episode and then i thought i was like no i'll get people to just record songs and send them in like it'd be deadly laugh and i get to like raise a few bob for pay a house Um, a much more positive thing <laughs> so what what has it been like the changes and stuff that you've noticed um, just just being much clearer like i realized that um like when you're drinking on a regular basis there's like a kind of like this low level kind of fuzziness that you're not even aware of that's just there the whole time you know like not even when you're hung over but it's just kind of like just a bit of a, a fog that's there and like that kind of didn't even lift until after I'd stopped drinking for about a month or a month and a half and then I was just like whoa like things are just just feels way easier to ma- manage like negative thoughts or negative emotions you know just to stay positive and not because you know especially around this year like I sometimes just start to spiral into a bit of darkness um, and being sober just makes all that kind of stuff like much easier to kind of stay on top of and, and deal with it you know um, like there's not like you know spending a, a day or two days in bed because you've been out for the weekend like I just I can't justify that to myself anymore you know it's just it's just it starts to become way too horrible like the older you get it becomes much more of like a mental thing even than a, than a physical thing and I was just like this is no good for me you know um, like thinking about any time you know because I would never have thought like I had a drink problem or anything but then I was like well what, like every kind of thing that I've ever done that I feel wasn't a good decision to make I was like but I have been drunk every time I've done those things you know so I don't know after a while you wait up like I feel like I've you know I, I really love drinking I was making homebrew for years and I really got into that side of things um, and yeah like I love drinking beer but I really feel like I've just I've had enough of it for now you know i've kind of served my time at that game and um i don't miss it you know i've been going out to i've been going to festivals i've been going to gigs going to house parties and all like i don't once you get over the initial habit of like feeling like you need to kind of have a few cans to do that kind of stuff like um things just become so much easier you know and uh when is the jumping in sorry oh no you go ahead ahead. (laughs) what about jumping into the sea when did you start doing that Jumping into the sea, well I started, um, I moved back out here to where I am about two and a half years ago, um, I was living like around the city centre for a long long time, like pretty much since I left home when I was 18, I'd been living around the city centre but I moved back two and a half years ago to where I grew up and it's really close to the sea out here and I just, yeah I just started going in, jumping in the water, like it was, it was kind of, 
in the summertime when I moved out first and that winter I didn't I kind of stopped swimming in the winter time but then last year I was like really kind of pushing it to swim in the colder weather and I made it up until about I think halfway through November and what happened was I'd missed it for what for a few weeks for whatever reason and I went to get in again and I was like fuck I cannot do this and I just I ran back out and so I gave up for the winter then 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 this year I started in March I think it's the first time I got in went all the way through the summer and I've been going like every day or every second day and like everybody's telling me you just need to keep doing it like don't miss it for a few days just keep going every day or every two days is enough just and even I got a tattoo on my arm a few weeks ago and I was told not to get get into the sea with it while it was healing so I used to just go down and like sit like sit on the ladder in the cold water just to stay acclimatized <laughs> just kind of like you know just looking at all all my mates swimming but um I'm kind of back at it now and it's like swimming is it's just unreal even if I go down now like it's that cold I jump in I jump in for like two minutes like max I kind of jump in and then you don't really feel it when you jump in first you get a bit of a shock I just swim out for like about a minute on, before I even start thinking about it and then I start to feel the cold I swim back in and that's it done but that's all you need it's just like reset button in your head it's like you're a new person like every day it's 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 just like a magic I don't know magic marker or something it just wipes everything off you know uh, what you call you know those little toys where like you have the two knobs on the side and you draw the pictures but then you do the other with all the magnets on it you know and you just wipe the thing across it and all that like all the mess and all the like all the shitty drawings are just like whoop, it's all wiped clear and you can just start again you know it's I, I yeah I love it and now like cause I'm in the habit of it I really miss it if I don't do it for a few days you know so um that's been just another aspect of um like you know I wouldn't say oh it's like I can just get high on life and it's better than drinking or whatever but it it, it just is amazing it's an amazing feeling and that's kind of yeah that's where I got a lot of my buzz these days I'm I'm growing old and <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> that's all it comes down to but no it's just I mean it just you know it comes a time where you're like no I want to just start making more positive choices in my life and you just you feel a lot better about things and it, yeah I feel like it's the right the right decision for me you know unreal this definitely gets easier getting into the sea after a while like but I was yeah. doing it for a while last year it's and down here like it's the beach so you have to walk in and it's like slow gradual like the water is getting higher and higher and higher and higher once you get your head down i find it's a grand like but yeah see the piece from like below your waist to above your waist it's uh, like tough going, I, I can't right? see i can't do it walking in i think like I, I go to this spot where i just jump off like this big concrete thing and then so all you have to do is make that split sec decision to jump and it's done you can't do anything about it you know i think if i was like walking in i'd fucking just turn back like halfway in i don't know if i could do that you know yeah um class what's your do you want to well, yeah. We unveil the yeah, like one veil like a shop <laughs> drum roll. So, yeah. Um like yeah, I'm really excited to see who it is, who who you've chosen to win the twenty twenty one Fire Drawn Air Raucous Rebel Christmas Cock Challenge. Okay, so so far in this chat, I feel like there's been a couple of points where the chat has got like pretty serious and get a little bit maybe I don't know if dark is the word, but um you know like some of the the topics that have come up with have been kind of like quite yeah a bit heavy serious. or something yeah heavy yeah and um do you know what to be honest actually sometimes i think that like talking about these as i was saying earlier like i was buzzing to, to come and be a part of this here but like sometimes i do i am conscious that sometimes people kind of recoil from the songs and the stories behind the songs in a way and um so i think this song 
is gonna add a bit of like joy to proceedings. <laughs> I call it Charlie, you know, it's Christmas. Why not have, yeah. have a yeah. bit of joy? You know? <laughs> right, so number number one top spot goes to Gemma Kawaja. Channeling, <laughs> channeling, uh, one and only Ozzy Osbourne, and it's the streets of Derry. I think the less said before we play this, the better, and we'll just stick it on, and uh, we'll see how we're doing afterwards. Shepherd of folk, we got a fucking bat and the prince of fucking darkness. Have a bit of that. Ah! Yeah, fuck yeah. Oh, don't worry, don't you worry. Me loving clergyman, he's standing by. Look, look what he's got for me. Got me a bloody rabies shot. Just gonna go right there in the fucking eye. Oh, yeah, fucking have it. Oh, don't worry about the fucking bat, man. Because guess what? The fucking loving clergyman. He's got a fucking Aussie shot for the bat. There, have some of that, son. You fucking little twat. Fucking yeah. Yeah. Shannon! Hey, Shannon! Fucking Shannon! What fucking detains her so long from me? Perhaps she thinks it's some shame or scandal for me to see me rip the fucking head off her bat. Check that out, fucking folk wankers. All around my fucking hat, I gotta be wearing a fucking decapitated bat. Fucking yeah. Fucking folk on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Congratulations to Gemma Kawaja. <laughs> Fucking me. That's, oh my God. That was something else. It's safe to say that the universe is a better place for that song. 100%. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I, I would like to implore anybody listening to go and check out the actual full video that Gemma made for that. 
um, like video in, it, it's another like really amazing visual element but they're just even listening to there's just so much there I felt like Ozzy Osbourne was being channeled with like but he was resisting the channeling like Jenna <laughs> brought, brought him forth and he was like came forth but he was kicking and screaming about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she just got that down, like the the druggy kind of like you know, drawl, like just oh, perfect, perfect. That, yeah, you know really something amazing. else about that is like, whenever I watched that initially, like on the video on the Five Drawn Year Instagram page, I watched it a couple of times and it was it was class. But did you see like listening to it? It brings something. I don't know. I think it's kind of the power of audio. Like I've thought about videoing. The Rebel Matters podcast before, yeah, but I always yeah. kind of decided against it because the audio kind of just focuses your attention or something in a way that like it reduces the amount of stimulus that's there. I mean, yeah. should definitely still go and watch the video, but it was just a, a bit of an observation. No, absolutely, yeah. It's like almost like there's too too much information going into your brain, so you're missing out on little things. And I think even just listening to the song and like hearing there's like way more like just little subtle like in jokes and stuff going on that you might even pick up the first time watching the video you know and um, that's really just fucking ingenious stuff there from Gemma like that was absolutely like really really well deserved first uh, spot in the competition I like doing a slow clap for Gemma yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh congratulations Gemma Fantastic. Um, I've to, I've to come up with a prize now. Um, Gemma was actually so sound that she asked me for the contact details of Pyatt House to make her own um donation, which I thought was really amazing. So if anybody just feels like going out on a limb and throwing them a few bob, it's really really um much needed and it really helps out. Um, I think you know something that we all have experience of these things and like they could really use an extra bit of help, especially this time of the year. Um. So yeah, that was five uh, really amazing entries there. Uh, just great songs that people came up with just in the last couple of days. Like I really can't believe that that people kind of responded to it so quickly. Like really, really impressive. If there's something that we can do to get Ozzy Osbourne singing the streets of Derry via Gemma Kawaja, like to become the Christmas number one, that would be I, good. I, I, I don't know if there's some way that we can play that. Get yeah. people to vote for it or something. I'll, I'll, I'll go on to my people. You go on to your people. Yeah. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> Gemma, you um, go on to your people. <laughs> here, I had a couple of sort of um, other of the entries that I felt like maybe giving a bit of a mention to. Just oh, absolutely, of, yeah. It, so there was um, Declan Parsons sent in Grace. Oh, it done in the style of Axel Rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, that was Grace, amazing, yeah. Is a tune that it's about uh, Joseph Mary Plunkett, who is got married to Grace the right before he was executed, and uh, it's just a song that that anytime my dad hears it, like he just always sheds a tear. It's really uh, it's a really beautiful song. The other one was uh, Bo James Wilding sent in his uh, the British Army. Of, Tom Waits, the British yeah. Army one, yeah. like un- uncanny yeah. Tom yeah. Waits, <laughs> and another one of those songs that I think flips the power dynamic in yeah. and mocks the British Army, which I'm always up for. And the other one was um, Genevieve Gallimou sent in the Stevie Nicks doing the Bold Fenian Men. Actually, have kind of the, the we. 
I heard Frances Black sing in the Bodlefinian Men. It was the first time I ever heard her singing it at the at Joe Cahill's graveside, who was one of the leaders oh, of the professional right. movement. And he died, I think it was around 2000 or 2001 or something like that there. And we all got out of school for the day to go to the funeral. And I just remember the hers standing on the back of my neck whenever she sang that song. So uh, just three special mentions. And then... We'll have got one more that we're gonna <laughs> give a run, <laughs> give a run out to. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you take it from here. <laughs> okay, I just want to find the the name again. Um, okay, I've got it here. I can never remember what you called it. Um, yeah, one. Okay, one one more that we're gonna we're gonna play out. Um, just a very very honourable mention. Um. But before we do that, I just want to say, Anna, really, Goramili Mili Magot for coming here and chatting to me. Like, really, like, really appreciate you taking your time to do this and listening through all the entries. And, like, maybe w- what the hardest thing was was coming up with the, the your five favourite ones. But also, like, for talking about your connection to these songs and your experiences. And really much appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure, like, and... It, you see, to be honest, like sometimes, like I feel a little bit, I feel a bit of kind of vulnerability talking about them sometimes because, in a way, I remember when I went down to um, Limerick in two thousand and three was the first time that I kind of moved out of Belfast for a while. I was eighteen. I was going to university in Limerick, and I remember feeling like a, a sort of a fish out of water in a way. It was probably the. F- first major time that I felt like I grew up in an environment that was completely different from the environment that maybe some of the people that I was meeting in Limerick as you know, like I was down in Limerick Freshers Week didn't know anybody there running about right. in the Antrim jersey just kind of meeting other people and then just as I got talking to them it kind of felt like I started to realize that we had these like quite different experiences of growing up and talking about the songs I think having quite a different relationship with the songs uh, makes me kind of feel a little bit a little bit vulnerable because I, d- I don't know what it is I can't even put my finger on it <laughs> but yeah. I guess you know, like when people in Limerick like love Stone South from Gary Owen and it'd be people who wouldn't be like politically minded, but then a couple of drinks then around the table singing, it was on a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Different story then with a few points in them. Uh, yeah, exactly. But anyway, uh, as we were saying earlier, like some of the, some of the stories and stuff behind the songs are, are real heavy, but I'm very glad that we're going to give this other uh, tune a run out because it's sort of in my head, whenever I listened to this song, I had this image of Lads from the Ra with balaclavas on and maybe like small red sparkly Y-fonts in a, social, a Republican <laughs> social club in West Belfast dancing around and just loving life to this song. And in a way, I think the song that we're going to listen to, the, the this like creation brought in the a different context with the tune and the melody and everything like that there I think in a way just uh, represents 
the absurdity and the ridiculousness of life, which I think is <laughs> a really good way to finish up this chat. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Alan. Really, really much appreciated. Take care. Also, right. And here is Jill Daly with Celtic Symphony by the Wolf Tones in the style of Gina G, the 1996 UK Eurovision songstress. Merry Christmas to one and all.
Diddle, 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 diddle